there are a lot of challenges uh, to be met with what they're, what they're uh, accomplishing. And so they have been very nimble. Um, they've been able to pivot where necessary, um, just overcome obstacles. So I've been re that's one of the things that I'm most impressed with is their ability to keep going, adapt, find solutions, etc. cetera, um, which is usually or frequently the death of many uh, uh, companies, you know? So these guys show, have shown great flexibility. Uh, in that regard, and having considered the product, changed it a little bit, and being smart about how they're putting it out there, I think uh, is it, it is important because you don't get that many chances once you put it out there. And welcome to episode 29 of the Graph Golf Podcast. I'm your host Sean Fairholm. Today we are continuing our Behind the Ball series that gives all of you an in-depth look at Graph Golf as we go on a journey to create a first-of-its-kind smart golf ball and analytics platform. We've talked to most of the main members of the team, but today we are going with a different perspective as Ari Friedman, a strategic advisor for Graph, joins the show and really goes into his background in business, what led him to start consulting Graph, his opinion of what makes a great startup, where Graph is at in the process of establishing itself, and a lot more. This is a cool episode because Ari has a ton of experience and, and can give both an outsider's and insider's perspective on what the company is like, which is such a valuable thing to have. Of course, if you listen to this conversation and want to know more about what we are talking about here at Graph, you can visit graph.golf. A lot of awesome information there. And you could also subscribe to our newsletter on the site so you can receive all the latest updates on our launch. Just don't forget to visit the club tab, which is a database of articles and podcasts such as this one. Without further delay, here's our conversation with Ari Friedman. And now we welcome on to the Graph Golf Podcast, a first time guest and a strategic advisor for Graph Golf, Ari Friedman. What's going on, man? How you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Uh, I wanted to get a little into your background in business prior to, uh, you know, being an advisor for Graph. What, what have you done throughout your uh, your life to kind of lead, lead you to this point? Kind of a long journey, uh, you know. Um, so, I mean, if you really want the, the full picture here, I mean, I, I actually started my professional career as a uh, as a musician. Uh, that's how I earned a living. I, I graduated NYU with a, in the, the jazz performance program and made a living as a drummer for seven or eight years, something like that. Um, uh, that was back in the day when, you know, there was a thriving music scene in New York and, you know, you could do stuff like that. Um, and, you know, around, I would say, Late in 1995, I founded, I always had an interest in computers and I guess math and, and, and what have you. So I founded an internet company just at the beginning of Web 1.0, you know, so I, towards the end of 19, Q4 in 1995. Um, so I'm probably dating myself, but uh, it was called homedelivery.com. And it was one of the first uh, online local merchant networks. And it was basically for any merchant that delivered what they sold. And that was, it was pretty broad. It started out, you know, really across groceries, pharmacies, pet food and supply, wine and liquor, restaurants, all of those. Uh, it was a very New York 
uh, based mindset that I had originally when we when we set out to do it. Um, and that was an incredible experience. Um, you know, I got a, a great education, both in, you know, just growing a company, raising money, you know, there was like this incredible frenzy at the time uh, around the internet in general. Um, so, you know, I was able to raise money, you know, we actually sta staffed up and expanded and, and what have you along, I guess, with everybody else. And then there was this huge, I guess they called it this dot-com crash in 2000. So we uh, kind of pulled back as well, but I managed to continue to, to run the business. We had a, a very solid business model and uh, I was fortunate to have investors that, that understood that. Um, and so continued to grow it uh, through, I would say probably around 2003, 2004, when I sold it to a competitor. It, it's now delivery.com. And I continued to work with them through probably around 2012 in various capacities, mostly uh, strategic development and some technical uh, advice there. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of my first foray into like, you know, the business world. Although I would definitely let people know that if you're going to be an independent musician, uh, you're also an entrepreneur. So yes. uh, it's, all, it's all very similar. Yeah, <laughs> no. For sure. And what have you done kind of since the, the mid 2000s? So, well, it, so in parallel with all of that, I had formed a business advisory service, uh, you know, uh, and most of that was business analysis and getting helping businesses get their needs met uh, by technology. You know, the, the home delivery experience was a great experience uh, in technology, in building large scale applications, doing all kinds of integrations and all kinds of um, front end and back end uh, user interface and design and stuff. So um, I was really capitalizing on that, on that knowledge, you know, running teams of developers, uh, et cetera. So some of these projects would see the, the light of day, maybe they might be front end oriented and some of them would never see the light of day and they'd be back end oriented, but they're still integral and important to the, the process mm -hmm. for the business. So I, I had that. And then also uh, I would say, I want to say in 2008 or so, 2009, I formed a production and distribution company with a partner, a very successful uh, producer, uh, independent film producer. And the part of the business that really got its legs under it was the uh, distribution, film distribution business. So that was, uh, it's called DigiNext. Um, and we were doing downloads and streams, you know, around the same time that say Netflix started the transition from DVD to, uh, to streaming. Um, we sold DVDs as well, but we were never like a competitor with a Netflix. We really, uh, it was very independent film oriented. We, I think at our height, we had maybe 40 or 50 titles under license, you know, as opposed to like Netflix having 50,000. It's just not, it was very different, but it was great. We did business in 72 plus countries around the world, um, delivering independent film directly to people. So, um, very interesting. And that was actually a joint venture uh, initially with uh, Carmike Cinemas, which you would know you're in Florida. So they used to be the fourth largest theatrical exhibitor. And then uh, uh, they were purchased by AMC, um, which I think they were a little bit more hesitant around the in-home entertainment uh, than Carmike was. Uh, guy Dave Passman was really flexible and uh, visionary and, and wanted to... Uh, really expanded. So the Cormac uh, joint venture was terrific. So that's, uh, 
And then now I've been advising companies. I'm also, you know, working with companies to uh, do strategic partnerships, basically a consulting firm uh, around all of that, helping them raise capital, helping uh, strategically think through issues, et cetera. So, and continued technical development as well. Absolutely. You know, you weren't kidding when you were saying long journey. You've, uh, you've been yeah, I hope that wasn't too long winded. Yeah, no, no. For, for that, that was that was awesome. Uh, in terms of how startups have changed from you know the, the '90s to today, uh, what are some of the challenges that are kind of different or or similar from you know from from back then to now, or or kind of the same principle still still applying today? You know, I think most of it still applies. I think fundamentally, very little has changed. Although, you know, what's nice now is your ability to work remotely, uh, not just you know COVID related, et cetera. Although that's obvious, but everything's cloud based, so you can really collaborate and actually run your company without everybody being in an office, and that's a huge, huge plus. Mm-hmm. Um, we used to do a little of that at uh, home delivery. We had all these, you know, monitors people monitoring all the order flow and stuff, they were working from home, but um, that's really changed a lot. And that I think is is pretty cool. Um, maybe the average age of the entrepreneurs is going down, you know? Uh, I'm not sure other than that though. Yeah, no, for sure. And in terms of how you first got started with Graph, when you first kind of heard about the concept of the company, what were some of your initial thoughts kind of kind of going into it so it's interesting because i myself am not an avid golfer at all uh and so but i am i have plenty of friends who are uh i'm well aware of how rabid golfers can be about the sport and around the sport and how uh more and more people seem to be playing it all the time including uh younger people so uh i knew right away that it was an exciting potentially exciting uh, niche or audience or market to be going after. Um, and then as I heard more about the actual, you know, project itself, it made a tremendous amount of sense to me because all of the alternatives were very expensive, very high end, uh, with very, very limited access, even if you have the money. So, um, it just kind of clicked. I just knew that if they could pull this off, it would be a really interesting opportunity. And what is some of the, you know when you start working with a startup, what are some of the fundamentals maybe of of advice that you're trying to impart to them, or is it more just specific to each scenario, or are there some kind of fundamentals of of a startup that you try to try to impart to people? I, I'm basically just responding to you know what are the needs at the time. You know, everyone's got uh, sort of. A, a, they're in different places, either personally or with their business, et cetera. So, you know, with the graph guys, I mean, it's been great. You know, um, everybody's really intense and passionate about it, which is amazing um, and highly competent at what they're doing. So, you know, I don't feel like I'm, I'm you know, in any way dealing with, you know, um, having to do startup 101 type of discussions and, and all this stuff. You know, we're really uh, talking about just strategic relationships. Um, how to, uh, you know, just some thinking around some of the projections and some of the uh, communication of the value proposition, stuff like that, you know, like just trying to be, uh, uh, bring an objective voice or an outside view, you know? Yeah. Um, and we do that, you know, so that's across the business components, but we do it also across the product. You know, there are certain 
certain things around a consumer experience that have to be addressed regardless of what you're selling them or what you know how you're engaging them so or what you're engaging them around i should say so we talk a lot about what it means to actually do get this package in front of them open it and use it you know and 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 all of that so uh, yeah, I, I'm interested. Are, are there any past experiences that you've brought when maybe you've been asked a, a question by by Aaron or, or somebody else? And any past experiences that you've you've had that have you know helped you in, in any of these questions? I mean, you know, I think they all inform all of my answers. You know, so if we're digging in on sort of how to you know run the spreadsheet, you know, and, and look at a cost per user or uh, cost of acquisition or, you know, what are the drivers of the model? You know, there's certainly past experience that I have there. Um, when we talk about the user experience, you know, like I said, you know, in both companies, um, we had to really develop uh, customer facing uh, web based tools. Uh, it was really, really important. And also for running the company on the inside. So I have a good head uh, uh, with respect to uh, how to approach those things. So Certainly those experiences informed our discussions there and also on strategic partnerships, just basically, you know, what the exchange of value is and how to kind of advance it forward and stuff. So I would say all of it. <laughs> you know, having an outside perspective looking in at Graph in the process, do you think there are there any separating factors from maybe that separate Graph from maybe other startups maybe not necessarily in the golf space but just in in general things that you think are kind of really like the, the the bedrock of the company that can be really be relied upon i mean you know for me the first thing that comes to mind is that that you know it keeps these guys really centered is their passion for it right everybody involved with it is like is all in which is great and that is actually translating to newer members of the team that keep coming on so the recent hires that they've made and what have you Everybody, you know, they're attracting great talent and, you know, they're really um, enrolling them in, in, in what's happening. And that's really, really important for founders to be able to kind of communicate their vision and enroll, you know, teammates, customers, investors, all of those things. And these guys do a great job of that. It might be because, you know, they're coming out of, um, you know, a football team mentality. You know, that's I'm sure that that's definitely part of it, but they're also individually talented. So. You know, I think Aaron's a, a, a great leader. He's very focused. He's very, you know, he's, he's very clear on what he wants to do or what he has to do next. And, you know, uh, I think one of the things he does well is is is, is organize and be very concise, you know. Um, but the other guys on the team that I've been interacting with are, you know, equally as passionate and, you know, they're all uh, talented with what they're doing. So whether that's Mike or Roland or Parker, et cetera. So, yeah. Yeah, um, I, I'm interested in your perspective in terms of how a startup builds out. There, you know, for I, I don't really have a business background, but there, there is kind of this question a lot of times of do you just get the product out as quickly as you can and introduce it to the market, or do you you know spend more time perfecting it until you you bring it to the market? What uh, what do you generally kind of see with with so that? Gotcha. That's an interesting question because people frequently say, just get it out there and make, you know, there's this like this notion of, you know, and then, you know, get a response. And, but I think the other school of thought where you're, you're very considerate about what you're doing before you put your foot forward is equally valid in many situations. So I think a balance of the two and depending on what you're doing, um, 
that's another thing that I think has been great uh, about this particular about graph is that you know there are a lot of challenges uh, to be met with what they're what they're uh, accomplishing, and so they have been very nimble. Um, they've been able to pivot where necessary, um, just overcome obstacles. So I've been that's one of the things that I'm most impressed with is their ability to keep going, adapt, find solutions, etc., um, which is usually or frequently the death of many uh, uh, companies, you know? So these guys show, have shown great flexibility uh, in that regard. And having considered the product, changed it a little bit and being smart about how they're putting it out there, I think uh, is it, it is important because you don't get that many chances once you put it out there. Right. So, you know, certain web-based uh, products, you know, you can put it out there and iterate quickly and, and really minimize you know the feature set and 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 kind of expand over time based on usage a physical product like they're doing really requires uh a little more care and thought mm. can you put into perspective how difficult running a startup is i know it's kind of a basic question but a lot of them don't even make it out of you know, the first year or two for obvious reasons but i'm you living in that world how, how difficult is it to actually i mean you know it, it can be very 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 challenging it's intense it's as much a mental game as it is you know a dollars and cents game you know having uh the ability to adapt having the ability to you know hear no frequently and you know continue forward so the persistence aspect is incredibly important um so i mean it's the, the challenges are just, you know, they run a whole spectrum. I mean, it's running a company is always challenging. You know, there's always challenges, but the, the startup stuff is really can be intense too. you know, meeting a payroll, you know, having a certain amount of money, you know, pre-revenue and, and, and trying to make sure that you don't run out of money, having to continuously raise money, raising money in and of itself is a full-time job. So, which is very distracting and not nearly the same as actually focusing on building your product or running your company very very so there's a lot of challenges you know it takes a certain type to be an entrepreneur not everyone is, is cut out to do it yeah for sure in terms of hiring people i always find that that's kind of an interesting concept to kind of navigate because you have people who may not be able to work full time for you right away you have people who may have to dip their toe into a startup initially as a part-time worker and then you build up hopefully and hire those people full time down down the road. What have you seen kind of in your experience in terms of how companies navigate it? Is everybody different or are there companies that come in with everybody full time at the beginning or? No, I think that's the times I've seen like companies suddenly just like they're suddenly staffed with everything. That's probably too quick. That's probably yeah. hard to identify people in advance, hard to know every position you really, truly need. Um, so you know the the gradual process that you described i think is uh more common than not uh and i would uh advocate for that you know it's kind of hard to do it otherwise like all of a sudden there there you know there's always exceptions in some of these things you know people raise exorbitant sums of money and go out and staff up and you know they have this huge burn rate um that's a little scary right payroll is something that really um is a huge responsibility and will drain a company of its resources faster than than everything. So there has to be a real correlation between you know your expansion or your payroll and your your revenues and stuff. Um, and again, you know, kudos to the to the graph guys the way they're bringing people on and 
you know, managing those expectations, but, you know, able to, you know, get the key solid team mem members and really start, you know, making big strides. I love, you know, the way they're doing that. And I, I know you mentioned fundraising as such a critical element of, of a startup. Do you have any advice or kind of best practices in terms of the, of the fundraising part of a startup? What do you usually tell people about that? I mean, you know, um, you know, be clear and concise, right? Be very, you know, I mean, every every situation is different, but that's a, a, a very challenging, you know, you're, you're running around with your hat in your hand talking to, you know, uh, potential investors. You have to be prepared. Uh, it's just like any other sales situation in, in with respect to the, you know, rejection that's out there. Um, you have to be patient and make sure, you know, your people are, are understanding what you're doing because you frequently, you live, eat, sleep and drink uh, what you're doing, but investors don't, right? So uh, it's easy to kind of forget that somebody really needs, in some cases, to be walked through what you're doing. So you have to be you have to be patient, um, clear and concise, and just you know really you have to believe it because at the end of the day they're going to buy into you as an individual and your vision. And practicing that elevator speech and getting it exactly right is kind of you know it's an elevator speech it's also being able to you know like sometimes you won't have all the answers or sometimes you know smart investors will frequently come up with some tough questions and you know there's nothing wrong with saying you know that's a fair question let me come back to you i want to give that some consideration or something like that you don't have to have every answer everyone wants to and you know but it's challenging to to, to try and show up doing that you know you have to be you, you have to be really focused on what you do and what you think is great about it and if you get some tough questions, you know, hopefully you have a, a dialogue with the with the prospect, so to speak, that you can you can come back to them. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Are, are you encouraged by some of the fundraising numbers you've seen early on with Graph? I mean, that sometimes you, you may get a startup that maybe isn't able to to do that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. They've been, you know, for what I've seen, you know, they've been very successful at that. And that's, you know, exciting and encouraging. And uh, look, these guys have a serious uh, uh, product. Like it, if, if, if they can pull off, which we all know that they can, uh, what they're attempting to do, they're, they're going to continue to be successful in that regard. They're really hitting a, a smart uh, market and uh, with, a, with a, uh, a product that will be in high demand. Mm. I guess I wanted to end on this. Um, I mean, you, you've seen companies uh, grow and have certain challenges from, you know, whether it's the the first year, the first five years, the first the first ten years. What is that period like once you've kind of established yourself uh, a few years in the the next few years after that? Are they a lot different from the very beginning, or are there are there certain challenges that you you face once the product comes out? I mean, yeah, there's the challenge, the spectrum of challenges uh, just changes, but you're always dealing with challenges, right? You know, how to be strategic, how to grow, how to not expand too soon, but not uh, too slowly either. Uh, how you're going to raise additional capital if that's what you need to do. How you're going to make smart hires. You know, back to that question about hires, I mean, hiring is like, you know, the, one of the most challenging things to do. You know, you never know who you're getting until you actually start interacting with them. And, and working with them so hiring is so you have all these challenges you know if you get out of the beautiful thing is to get to a place where you have this consistent revenue happening right and that's you know inspiring and um but you still have to be innovating and and on the front so that you know 
our competitors don't either catch up or overtake you or or what have you and you got to see what's next all the time so and i think that's true of every business so the challenges change but uh they're still there awesome well ari thank you so much for your time and, and coming on to the podcast we'll have to have you on again sometime how was your, how was your first time give, give me a rating yeah you know it was cool i mean you know it's interesting um so i i very much appreciate you having me and I'd be happy to do it again if uh I can be of interest. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, well, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for coming on. Thanks again to Ari for coming on to the podcast. Uh, we are going to stick with having one behind the ball episode per month. And you're going to hear from just about everyone on the team at least once. We will be back again in March with three podcast episodes total. That's Monday, March 14th, 21st and 28th. So we'll be off for a few weeks, but coming back on the 14th. Until then, be on the lookout for some articles on our site, including one from me about how to develop a personal development plan. We're going to continue producing three podcasts and four articles per month. So remember to check back for the latest content. We'll see you again on March 14th. Cheers.